Because you are a listener of the Autism Outreach Podcast, I wanted to tell you about a really exciting opportunity that is happening this month. I am doing a free live webinar that will be 45 minutes in length, and it is all about autism strategies for toddlers and preschool age students. I cannot wait to connect with you live. In this talk, I'm going to talk about how to help toddlers and preschool students start communicating you will be able to walk away from the webinar with actionable strategies that you can use today. I want you to feel very confident helping either your own child or students with autism that you are working with. This is a perfect webinar for parents and professionals alike, and I cannot wait to connect with you live. I'm offering this webinar on September 21st, September 22nd, and September 28th make sure that you join us live. When you join us live, you will get access to my PowerPoint slides so you can have all of this great information right at your fingertips. Make sure that you visit the show notes for the link. You can register at www.abaspeech.org slash webinar dash autism dash strategies. I can't wait to see you soon. If you're listening today and you have a child of your own or a client on your caseload who is struggling to communicate and you're thinking to yourself, where do I even get started in therapy with a child with an expressive language delay? We're going to break it all down for you today. And the real aha moment is that speech therapy and speech therapy strategies don't just take place during our therapy sessions, that they really can be embedded across a child's day. And you may be thinking, Rose, that sounds super overwhelming. I'm just trying to get through the day. At least that's how I feel sometimes. We are going to break it down today into manageable, actionable strategies that if you're listening as a professional or as a parent that you can start using. I interviewed Ashley Scott today, and we have such a great chat. I'm excited for you to learn all these strategies so you can start using them at home. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us on episode 40 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have a great episode today. We have with us Ashley Scott from Chatternola. Thanks so much, Ashley, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I got to know Ashley just because she's a fellow SLP BCBA. So there's not many of us. So I feel like I know most people or have talked with or DM'd or whatever it may be. But you have a great Instagram and just great resources and always sharing really functional stuff. And anytime you post something, I'm like, I feel the same way. You know what I mean? So I'm excited to have you come on today. But for those of us who are new to you and your journey, can you just tell us a little bit about you, how you became a speech therapist and started to specialize in maybe why you wanted to become SLP and BCBA, things like that? Sure. So my journey started about 15 years ago Um, as an SLP. I was a school SLP, but even in grad school, I've always, to me, felt like I've had the more difficult cases. So I always got the downs, the nonverbal, the kids with ASD, um, comorbidities. That kind of was my mix in graduate school and undergraduate. And so 
I've always had questions about, you know, ASD and all of the things. It was something that really intrigued me. And so being in the school system, that was, that was good. That was my start. That's where I got my start. And I did a lot of work in those non-categorical pre-K classes um, with the special needs students who were a lot more involved. And then throughout that journey, I was also on the pupil appraisal team or your diagnostic team um, for kids entering into special ed. Um, and I usually, you know, did the early, the little bitties, and then I did, you know, evaluations for the state, the early intervention state program. And after that, like, this is just what I'm called to do. <laughs> I had so many career choices as a kid, like everyone else, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer or going to be, it was forensic science at one point. It was a few things, but when I landed in ComD, it was a good fit. Like, I was like, yep, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And honestly, and this is going to sound cheesy, but it's so true. Every day, I'm like, yep, this is what I'm supposed to do. I love the work that I do. I like engaging with my families, my little bitties. <laughs> Youngest was like nine months running oh. an ASD profile that yeah. early. So definitely meaningful work, hard work, um, but worth it. And then in the school system, I kind of went from pupil appraisal to admin to being director of um, the speech and hearing department and then branching out. I was always seeing clients on the side. And then I was like, I could do this. Build up enough clientele. I can do it. I did it. And I haven't looked back since. <laughs> and I'm here. Awesome. Yay, you're here. I love that. No, I feel the same way. I feel like I really love what I do. And I do feel like sometimes like I was on another podcast a year or two ago and they were like, what do you do when you've had a hard day? And I was thinking to myself, and it's not that I don't have hard days. And usually if I have a hard day, it's not because of the student. It's usually because of I'm a school-based therapist three days a week. So it's usually some other type of administrative paperwork or parental mm -hmm. issue. Um, it's never the student really. And I was like, I don't know. I really just like my job. So in my career choice, but I feel exactly the same way. And it does feel kind of cheesy to say that, but I do feel like we have such a really rewarding position and I feel lucky to do the work every day. And it sounds like, you know, in a private practice, what's so nice is that you have access to your families and there's not as many barriers to you being able to talk with parents and caregivers. Yeah. And, and in the school, there's just, you can set up ongoing communication. You know, that's what I do. But I I mean, it's just a little bit harder. So when I see my, I, I have two days a week, I see private clients, you know, through ABA speech. And on those days, I just feel a little lighter because it's kind of like speech therapy. You know, it's just easier. There's, there's the parents, I see the kids in their homes. So, you know, right. I kind of get the holistic view of the family experience too. And, and that's a nice, it's a nice way to have that ongoing communication with parents too. It is. I think it's a different school system is school system. If yeah. you're in it, you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Right. Private practice, I feel like you don't tap in to the real depth of your skill set in the school system because there are so many other things that command your attention. Right. Where in private practice, like you got to know it. It's the <laughs> swim, right? Because right. swim. And I think the experience is so different 
Like, I don't think I've ever had the same day. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's fast paced. I love that too. Science, not as much math. I just made a funny little, well, I thought it was funny. We'll see. It was a TikTok, but it was all about why other professions I maybe would have been interested in, like optometry and some other things, but there was too much math involved. But that was was just, I like the science. I could do without all the math. So that's great. So then you, so you kind of always had, that's real similar to my experience where I feel like I was always really challenged by students who potentially had behavioral barriers barriers to their learning. And I feel like when you start taking on clients like that, you start just getting a lot more clients like that um, because people find out that that's what you really love and enjoy. And is that what then spurred you to become a BCBA as well as a speech therapist? Absolutely. It absolutely did. And you're so right because there's a running joke in our office and I'm like, think somebody put a Craigslist ad out like, any difficult kid, come here. Um, But we always accept the challenge, but definitely. And I know there's a lot of controversy between the world of speech pathology and the world of applied behavior analysis, but it is such a wonderful compliment. If you know it and you're doing it the right way, it enhanced what I, it enhanced what I do as an SLP. Yeah. Like I'm a biggest advocate of ABA and I know, you know, the autistic community and a lot of SLPs don't feel the same way that I do, Yeah, but you take what's useful and you don't discard the rest, but you take what works. And that's kind of how I found my space. And I think I'm that much better as an SLP Mm -hmm. than now that I'm a BCBA versus when I just had the knowledge or the scope and just speech language without. Right. And I feel like it just really helped me become more systematic in my language instruction for students that really need that type of instruction. And I know we're going to talk today about toddlers and helping struggling, you know, communicators start communicating. But the one thing that is a pet peeve of mine, and maybe it is for you too, when I do some collaboration and consultations, sometimes people assume that they understand that the way that I would do speech therapy, they assume that it would be at a table. They assume certain things because I'm also a BCBA. And that's not really how I live and breathe. Like We just launched this new um, When This Airs toddler preschool course that's for parents, but also ASHA approved. And we talk all about foundational language skills. We talk about play. We talk about joint attack. Attention. And I, I would just encourage anybody to kind of, you know, find out what's going on with other providers. I think that's the one thing too, is that when we're consulting with other people, I try to just do a lot of observing and um, I don't like to make assumptions about what somebody else might be doing in therapy. So I think those are those are good points. Yes, we just did a podcast episode about SLP BCB collaboration. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's good to know. I do a lot of work with graduate students and I get a lot of undergrad students here and I'm not teaching you SLP and I'm not teaching you ABA. I'm teaching you how you put it together and make it effective. Because at the end of the day, everyone's trying to move this kid from point A to point B. And if we're all in agreement that that's what we're doing, then I'm pretty sure we can make it work. One of the things that I tell my students all of the time especially like my speech path students, we know it. We know what you're supposed to do. We know when you're supposed to do it, at which developmental age, how it should look. We know all of those things. What they don't teach us is how do you teach it? Right. That systematic task analysis. (laughs) How are you going to teach it? 
and consistently, especially when I get grad students who may or may not be so fine, they, <laughs> end, they are like, oh, this was yeah. the hardest, but most, you know, informative placement. But it's like, okay, what is the kid supposed to do? And they can tell me. And I say, wonderful. How are you going to teach it? What are the steps you need to teach it? And I like... Right. Yeah, because I... I think the thing is, is that when we have struggling communicators or we have clients who have behavioral barriers, I mean, that's one of the reasons I, you know, really dug deep into applied behavior analysis because I remember working in a placement that was an ABA type center. And I had a student who wasn't engaged in therapy, was not happy to be at therapy. And I would talk to my supervisor, like, what do I do? I was, you know, I was 23. I was just a sponge of information. I still am like that. I'm always like buying books and reading. But, you know, back then I was like ready just to do it all then. And I didn't get a whole lot of answers. They said, just like you're saying, work on joint attention. And I was like, what do you even mean by that? Right? You have to really like break it down and and be systematic about it. So I'm excited for us to talk about that today. So today we're going to talk about five tips and strategies to help struggling communicators who are toddlers start communicating. And I think it's such an important thing to talk about because whether your child has an autism diagnosis or whether they're just struggling communicators or you're on a wait list for evaluations, I mean, the pandemic has really kind of done a number on so many students are on wait lists and depending on your school system and if they're back face to face, that's really affected people uh, getting evaluated and hence getting services and all those different types of things. So can you start us off with um, some strategies that we can use um, to help our toddlers start communicating? Absolutely. So I think one to kind of put it in perspective as to where I'm coming from with this. Kids who can't scratch it, not kids. Humans who cannot effectively communicate, it will show up in the way you behave. That's not negotiable. That's science, right? It's going to show up in adults and kids alike. With children, the unique issue or difficulty is when they don't have a means to communicate and there's not an alternative. Like they don't have the life experience to know, well, I'll just stonewall you. I'll just, no, they're going to go to whatever lengths they need to go to, to communicate. No, I don't like this. Or yes, I want more. Or this is not what I want to do. I want to do something else. And I think for a lot of parents, I'm a parent myself, but the number one thing they're like, oh, my kid's not talking. He needs speech therapy. And they come in and they're like, just wanted to say mama. Just want them to tell me something. And I say this and then they look at me and I'm like, I understand you want them to talk. Like, yep, that's on the list, right? We're not working on words. I'm not even focusing on words. And then they kind of look and then maybe they're like, well, what am I here for? Mm -hmm. Because before words come, there are all these skills that have to be in place. And to teach a kid to talk and not have the foundational skills in place Basically, you're just hoping that they can imitate and then you just get a host of imitated responses. Mm -hmm. I also see a lot of kids whose parents come in and like, oh, my kid can count. They know the ABCs, letters, numbers, shapes, colors. And I'm like, great. He knows the color orange. If he wanted an orange, what do he say? Mommy orange. What do he give you? An orange and look at you and say orange or No, because he has no functional communication. Mm -hmm. So having vocabulary with no good language skills, right? The language is the vocabulary. But the communication part is being able to use those words to negotiate and request and do all of the things that you need to get your wants and needs met. So when kids aren't talking, the number one thing for me is 
stop focusing on talking. Because <laughs> pretty sure if it's not a hearing issue, right? Because that could be it, not talking because they can't hear. But most often, there's some other foundational skills that aren't in place. Yeah, I think that's so important to to point out because I know that I'm working with a client right now and the parent, just like you said, this child could count, this child knows their ABCs. And I know this mom felt really like, oh, I should have known earlier that my child had autism. They wanted to make sure they get him all the support that he needs. But it was kind of hard to decipher because the child was talking, but the child was not communicating is what you're saying. And there's a major difference there. And it can just be if you're not in our field, if you're not intimately related with communication development, you may not realize that because you're like, oh, yeah, my my child just says things all day, all the time. But it's like how they're using the communication. So yeah. So so what are some strategies that parents or professionals can use if if they have a child who is really kind of struggling to have that functional communication? Or where do you start You know, in your therapy? So in therapy, well, obviously, even in the assessment process, I'm looking to see, getting an inventory. Does a kid make sounds? Do they have words? What words do they have? If this kid likes letters, number shapes, well, guess what I'm using as motivating operations in my therapy? All of those things that they really like. But I'm really not focusing on the word part of it. Sometimes these kids don't attend. So we're working on sitting, just sitting. And that can last sessions, right? It doesn't it's not so cut and dry as a kid can't talk, just start talking. That's not how we right. learn to speak. Mm-hmm. That's not how we learn to communicate. So definitely less focus on work. You want them to talk, focus less on work. Focus on all the other things that have to be in place for words to even be meaningful, right? Then parents, less questions. No mm-hmm. questions. What is this? What color is it? And, and I get it, I'm a mom. So when you... There's this need to show you like, they can do it. They can. What color is this? She knows they say, tell them, say ABCs. And it's like, that's not fun. You went somewhere and all day long, all they did was ask you questions and you couldn't effectively communicate. Oh my goodness, that's devastating. So less questions, more commenting. That's that narrated piece, right? When you're doing something, talk about what you're doing it while you're doing it. Bad time. Oh, mommy's washing your tummy. Where's your tummy? Oh, I see that tummy. Watch, watch, watch. I didn't say where's your tummy. Point right. to your tummy. Found your tummy. Scrub, scrub, scrub. Um, when we're eating, oh, you're so hungry. Pairing what they're doing with real words because you gotta have that association, make that connection, right? Simply saying apple, apple, apple. If he hasn't made the connection that this apple and the word apple go together and it gets me apple, then it doesn't make sense. So definitely pairing. So one narrating, narrating what you're doing in real time. No, you're not walking behind them and you're like, you're opening the door. (laughs) You're putting on your shoe. No, just shoes on. Where are those shoes? Oh, I found them. Shoes on. Thank you so much. We put the shoes on, like just talking it through. Secondly, when kids aren't communicating, keep the language simple. Paragraphs and paragraphs, and we know, oh, we want to expose them to a rich vocabulary of a variety of words. But when they're not talking, keep it simple. One more word more than what they're able to say. So if kids not talking, we should be talking in single words. If you're playing ball, ball, basketball, ball, card, simple, single words. Let's go out. 
open, those kinds of things. Those are good ideas because I think a lot of parents don't understand just like those are really good examples. Like I love those examples, like how you're giving the examples because I know that this idea of not bombarding kids with questions can be really, really hard for people. And I know when I first started in the field and worked with younger students, it just, it seems almost unnatural at first. You feel like maybe you're not sure what to say. You don't know what to do. You feel like you have to get that verbal interaction from a child. And I do a lot of training just on that where, you know, just what you did is example of how to model that type of language where we are narrating our day and we're not bombarding the learner with a bunch of questions. Because I know like if you get a new student on your caseload, let's say you're a school therapist and you have a new student, you really just need to be in their space and finding out about them and narrating things. And sometimes, you know, like when you're in a school, you're like IEP goals (laughs) must get data. But I always say (laughs) just write on the data sheet that you are spending time building a rapport with the child. Because like you're saying, if you don't work on these foundational skills you know, you might have a child who could imitate some things, but are they ever going to say those things spontaneously? Like your example with the orange, it's like, yeah, that student knows that's the color orange, but if they wanted an orange out of the pantry and they couldn't reach it, could they actually generalize that skill? So I, that's such a good, I love how you're giving those examples because sometimes it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to show what you mean. So love that. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think wait time, that wait time, even for a seasoned therapist, like, whoa, this is a long time. It's really not. Set your timer for 30 seconds and sit there and wait and see how long it takes. But wait time is necessary. Wait time is necessary to process. One of the number one questions I ask my families during the eval, the intake process, how much are you facilitating? That's one thing that I work with my therapist here one-to-one when I'm like, I'm going to record. Let's watch this. Listen to how much you facilitate. Mm -hmm. And then next session, I say, I don't want you to say anything. I want to see what this kid can do. And when I tell you it is torture, quiet, and then it clicks to them. Because as much as you're saying, you over-facilitate, you over-facilitate too much language, they're like, "Mm," but it's quiet. Like, I'm supposed to model. And when you take those out, and then you realize that kid wasn't asking for ball. He was only imitating because you said it 60,000 times, right? There's an art to this. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes overlooked in this profession specifically. There's an art to this. I agree. I absolutely agree. And the thing that I think is so hard, you know, because we have courses at ABA Speech, but I always pair them with a private Facebook group. And then if you're a professional or family living abroad, we can do consultations because it kind of goes back to more of an ABA thing, but, you know, behavioral skills training, which we actually had Nikki McRory on. She's another SLP BCBA. She talked all about behavioral skills training and how it pertains to parent training. But I know the only way that I've ever transformed anything I'm doing in my life, whether it's like taking a pot, like I took a course on how to do a podcast and it was very behavioral skills training. It was like, this is how you do it. Okay, let's practice now. Okay, you're going to do the podcast. Now I'll give you feedback. Um, That's how people learn. You know, that's how you really transform your therapy. So I think the idea of like videoing and seeing how people are doing, I don't think we realize it is an art form. But the thing I was going to say is that sometimes, you know, you take these courses online and you think that just automatically 
likely you're going to transform, you know, your child's communication or you're going to transform how your child is doing with A, B, and C. But I think it's like that ongoing mentoring and coaching, which I know we both have like a social media and we try to, to give that good information. But I think you need those checkpoints like to be able to like, you know, send somebody a DM and ask them like, is this helpful? Should I be doing it this way? Or if people do consults, um, because I think once we get the information, we really have to apply it. And it is, it's such an art form. After doing this 20 years, I feel comfortable telling parents like, you know, this is how I would do this, or this is what I'm doing in therapy and I'm doing it this way. Like I just had a situation where I am more of a play-based therapist and I, you know, see kids in their home and I, I do bring some of my own toys and use some of theirs. Mm-hmm. And I had a child who was seeing me and they are also seeing another private therapist um, who was putting the child in a hype chair and kind of restricting their movement. And I told them like, that's not really how I do things. You know, like we don't even do things at the table. We kind of get to that point, right? Systematically build our way up. But I don't think if it was 20 years ago and I was just starting out in the field, I would have felt really comfortable advocating for my vision. Like you're saying, like it is such an art form. And I feel like the more that we do this and the more that we practice our skills, we feel comfortable doing that. And it is, it's an art form. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an art form and our families understand here. Yeah. We all have to be on the same page, right? So from the waiting room, like people that can walk, it starts from the waiting room with the families. Cause sometimes like the parents need it. If the kid can only do it with me, I haven't done my job. And I communicate that to parents like you shouldn't have to call me to come and do it for him to be able to for that response to be evoked. Right. Right. Because he should be able to do it across people, across settings. We're really big here. One of our therapists is out today. Well, all the kids see all of the therapists. You're going to be with such and such today. And it's in parents, not the kids. The parents are like, oh, Miss so-and-so is not here. No, she's not. He's going to be with this person today. And you could see the like, it's going to be fine because he needs to be able to work with, right? right? Multiple exemplars, planning for generalization needs to be able to work with a variety of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so leading into the next thing, right? What's the next talk? Reinforcement, reinforcement, not giving, reinforcement, doing something that's going to increase the likelihood of the behavior. This is so huge for the following directions piece because I think as a whole, we kind of sometimes get this wrong. And it led to my post on Saturday. <laughs> come here, it didn't move. And then you said, come here, come here, come here. He never moved. Wait a minute. Where? Huh, stop. Let's go back. Come here, right? Deliver the directive. Right. He didn't do it. Saying it 10 more times isn't going to get him to do it. Mm. When I say, come here, and he didn't come here, I physically took him by the hand. Thanks for coming, friend. Let's, right? It's the re, he didn't do what you asked him mm-hmm. to do. Then right. you modeled, demonstrated what does come here look like. And part of it is that we take for granted as adults. You just assume, like, come here. He understands. Parents, people, not even parents, even therapists. They're like, no, no, they know that. They know it. How? Because he didn't do it. Right. Right. And they're like, no, 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 he knows. He understands why. Maybe he doesn't. And and that's the piece continually just repeated and repeated. It's not going, that's not teaching. That's that systematic. Right. What does he need? You got to reinforce it. I need to show you what I want you to do. And then when you do it, right, move on. And then I give you all of these opportunities, which kind of leads me into the next thing. Stage in the environment. I don't like communication, temptation, or sabotage. You're creating opportunities, right? I'm not, you can put whatever title. I'm creating communication opportunities. Because sometimes, is it a can't do versus a won't do? Well, 
Um, sometimes it's, I don't even have to do mm-hmm. kids who aren't talking. I always ask. So how does he let you know when he wants a snack? Huh? He goes over to the pantry and I have a little basket at the bottom and he picks what he wants and then we're good. Good. So we just took away the opportunity to, right? Point attention, point two, Mm -hmm. get me, go back to it to gain your attention. That's one of those foundational skills that before words come, you need to be able to gain attention. And then you can label and you can work on receptive language. Here's the cookies. Help me find them. You see them? Because we don't really know if you understand because you're not communicating to us that you do. So I need to know. I need to check for understanding. Do you even know what the cookies are? And then, right, pick them up. He can point. You can teach pointing. You can work on joint attention. Then we get the cookies. And then I give, I do gummies and I give the gummies and I just wait. I don't say anything. <laughs> Sometimes we give and then we're like, tell me you need help. Mm-mm. Here you go, friend. Gummies. And I wait. Then I see. What's your problem solving skills looking like? Mm-hmm. Are you able to give them back to me? Are you able to ask for help? Right? Asking for help, requesting assistance, yeah. foundational skills. And then you're able to. But if you don't have those opportunities, when kids are delayed, especially those with ASD who are not social seekers, mm-hmm. who are not seeking out adults in the environment, kids in the environment, they miss those opportunities just because they sometimes are not even in tune to the environment in the way that we are. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not creating those opportunities, well, geez, the only kid time the kid would even get it is when you initiate it. I'm a mom, I'm busy. So how many times throughout the day do parents say, wait a minute, I didn't initiate an interaction with my kid today, right? Mm-hmm. Because if they're quiet, like most are, oh, they can play for hours. <laughs> and then you get to get stuff done. And it's not, it's not you're a bad parent, it's life. Mm-hmm. But when your kid is at risk for delays, are delayed, are on the spectrum, those are all of the things that you now have to be conscious about and plan around and plan for and and get to the next step. One of the biggest things in my parent trainings, I always talk about expectation. Why are you giving to him without asking? Or he cries and then everybody's like, oh, juice? Cookies? Oh, he's hungry. Oh, come here. He took a nap. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, he wants to be held. Why? Because he came up to you and did this? Oh, he didn't. So how do you know, right? <laughs> and so it's the relationship I have with the parents here. It's, it's, you just got to see it in action. But... They're like, oh, here she comes. And I'm just like, huh, there's a rule. And I want to post this on the door, but I won't. If your kid can walk, I do not want to see them on your hip when you come in the door. Because we're teaching independence, the right kind of independence. Mm -hmm. You can walk. Give me a hand. See, creating an opportunity, following direction. Give me a hand, Frank. Mm-hmm. And then you can look at him and you can smile. You give him a squeeze. Oh, I like it when you, whatever you want to narrate with that, right? And then we can work on opening the door because we could just stand there. Then are you going to look up? Do you know to open the door? Do you know what knock means? Listen, it's so much. I'm trying to get to where I'm going with this. <laughs> it's so many teaching opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so many opportunities are sometimes missed because we take, because we can do all of those things. Right. If you ever had to break down a communicative exchange into all of the parts, it's a lot. 
<laughs> where we think, well, we just think it and we say it and it happens. Not for a kid who has a delay. Not for a kid who's on the spectrum. And I'll say this and I'm tiptoeing lightly into it. I know eye contact is really big. And I know the autistic community is like, Ooh, I, I, I don't want to. I was forced. No matter how you feel about it, my opinion, got to be able to gain attention. You got to be able to do that. And when you don't have eye contact, I'm not even saying, I, I don't want you to sit because then that's weird too. If somebody's just staring at you, that's not right. functional. Mm-hmm. But when you, if you took the position that eye contact, I don't teach it. Well, I don't teach eye contact, but you do need to orient to my face. You do need to be able to effectively gain attention because if you don't, and then you send them out into the community. If the kid is verbal and in the middle of the mall, he just started talking. Who's going to stop? No right. one. Because you, I, I don't know you're talking to me. And so while it may be controversial about how it should be taught, why it's being taught, what does it look like? That's very important. That's not something you can gloss over because that's one of your key social communicative abilities. And I think sometimes it's overlooked even in parents when you're like, does he understand? Is he following directions? Well, if he never looked at you and he never turned back and he never responded to his name, I don't know. And sometimes they get a bad rap, right? Oh, he's just ignoring you. Oh, he'll ignore you if he's super sure. No, he won't. Because even if you're in your phone in the middle of Walmart and someone said your name, you may not, like, you might look up, you pause, <laughs> you might keep doing what you respond. Right. Not, you don't ignore it. There's and some so kind I, of a response. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I kind of get frustrated when I, they're like, oh, because he'll just ignore me won't. Mm-hmm. No, not if he understood. Yeah. And that's going along with understanding all that goes into communicative act is not just talking. That's, that's a lot. That's just the tip of the right? Right. And I always try to tell parents and other professionals too, is that, you know, therapy doesn't just happen. It's like therapy is not a place. It doesn't just happen when the student is with Miss Rose or Mrs. Griffin, you know, whatever age student I'm working with is that as you feel more comfortable with these foundational skills, like the ones you've discussed today on the podcast, that you do feel comfortable embedding these opportunities throughout the day. Like, so once a parent, like your idea with the snack in the pantry, you know, like if I was working with older students that had that that SLP hat on, I would think, well, you know what, at that age for this particular student, it might be really independent for them to be able to go into the pantry on their own and get a snack. But if you have a little one who has, is a struggling communicator, not yet communicating, you might say, oh my gosh, you know, this is such a great opportunity for us to work on all these different things, asking for help, pointing to the cookies, using a request, or, you know, whatever it is that the student is communicating. So I feel like once parents and other professionals learn more about the foundations of communication, you can look at the whole day, the learner's day with like a new lens of like how we can embed these strategies you you talked about. So such great information today. I always end the podcast with these last two questions. Um, What is the most important piece of information that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about communication? That it's ongoing. It's not something that just happens. Although naturally it comes to us in a way that's effortlessly, unless it's something that we're not familiar with, right? For kids who are delayed, it doesn't. And I always, this is what I would really like to drive home. If you think that you're frustrated, right? Because I can't figure out what he wants. He's just crying and tantrum and screaming. And 
if you're frustrated, oh my God, what about Fly Guy? <laughs> he is beyond frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, you go through one day and not be able to use words to communicate to someone what you needed done. And I want to see what you look like at the end of the day. Because that's what the kid who can't communicate goes through every single day. The amount of energy he has or she has to exert. The frustration, the mixed messages If sometimes you give, but sometimes you don't. It, it's a lot. And so understanding that it is more than just talking. I love it's that. so much more than just talking. So true. So very true. Um, so where can people find out more about you and your work, Ashley? Um, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. We have a website, Chattanola on all platforms. I um, thought I was going to be doing these videos weekly <laughs> and, and I was going to give all the information and then life, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So oh my gosh. About but I do at least try to, in written form, give information that I think parents could utilize. Some of it is just based on things I see and I'm like, oh, I need to write about this. Or sometimes it's real life situations that's happening here. And I'm like, other parents probably have this exact same concern. I'm all about identification, all about knowing what should be. If you don't know you have a problem, then certainly you're not working towards getting help or assistance or, you know, any of those things, you don't know what you don't know. And for parents of kids with delays, them knowing there's nothing you could have or did not do that put you in this position. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Great information. And yes, give her Instagram a look. It's really helpful information. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you are listening, make sure that you visit us at abaspeech.org. We have our school age autism course, Help Me Find My Voice, and a new toddler slash preschool age course that has come out recently. And we hope that you will uh, take those. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember to keep things fun and functional. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.